Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, who has the courage? That was a snippet of a sermon by T.D. Jakes. And when I saw that in preparation for our message today, it just really inspired me, but it also challenged me. There's a part of me that feels indicted, but a part of me that also feels encouraged. And I would suspect I'm not the only one who feels that way. Today we are entering into the second installment in our Seven Nevers from Scripture series. We started this on Wednesday evening with our Ash Wednesday service. If you were not able to be here, I know that it is still the tail end of the winter break, midwinter break. So uh, if you happen to miss that, I would certainly encourage you to go back and check it. It's available on podcast as well as on our uh, Hope Church YouTube page and uh, Facebook page. So I would encourage you to catch those uh, because uh, what we're going to do over the next several weeks as we go through this season of Lent, we're going to work through seven instances in the scriptures where God made a promise that involves the word never, that involves the word never. So Wednesday evening, we talked about how God will never push us beyond our capacity to deal with it. And the reality is, is that it really isn't our capacity to be able to manage or deal with the struggles and the challenges that we face in life. It's about our uh, welcoming God into our lives and in our presence, and it's his strength that enables and empowers us to do the things and to accomplish the challenges that he's asked us to do. So our second installment brings us into how God promised that when we act with courage, he will never leave us nor abandon us. And so that is the second message in our seven nevers from Scripture series. This would be appropriate time if you happen to have your Hope Church Plus app handy or if you have the insert from your worship guide uh, to use, pull those out. If you want to use these, use them as uh, examples uh, for you to uh, write down, jot notes, follow along, keep your uh, attention focused so that we can think about how God promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Our primary key verse for this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. And this is when God commanded the Israelites toward the end of their Exodus journey, before Moses was about to go, and before Joshua was about to lead them into the promised land, God issued these words through Moses to the people. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them, for the Lord, your God, is going forth with you. He will never leave you nor abandon you. Now, the context of this, as I mentioned, Moses is about to disappear, and he's going to be buried by Jesus on the mount, pre-incarnate Jesus, that's the sermon for another day, and Joshua's about to lead the people into the promised land. And they knew that as they were going into the promised land, they were going to face all kinds of challenges. And part of that challenge was to displace the inhabitants in the land. God was going to give give the land to the people of Israel, But they were going to have to displace and conquer that land. And there were some giants amongst them. Uh, There were some very war-hardened 
soldiers out there, and the people were afraid. They had seen God perform all these miracles over the course of 40 years, and they had seen uh, incredible ways that God had stepped up and fought the battles for them. And then now they were going to be told, God is still with you. But the next phase, the next step of your journey into the promised land was going to involve you having to displace people who may appear to be bigger, may appear to be stronger, may appear to be more battle-hardened than you. But the one thing they don't have that you do is what? God. That's exactly right. All throughout the Exodus journey, God continued to show up and to show out for them. And so the message as they are about to head into the promised land is to be strong and to be courageous. That's a commandment. God says, be strong, be, be courageous. Do not be terrified of challenges that you think are bigger than you or, or more intimidating than you because the Lord God is your God. He is going forth with you and he will never leave you nor abandon you. God has to command us to be courageous. Courage is not a default virtue in our human nature. It just isn't. It seems to me that fear oftentimes is. Fear is part of the defense mechanism in which God created and imprinted within each and every one of us. It's a survival instinct. We are taught and learned how to be afraid of things that are threats to us. From Indiana Jones and snakes and the scarecrow, the Wizard of Oz, and a lighted match, right? There are things that we are taught to be afraid of, and it's part of our survival instinct. It's part of how we developed into tribes and tribes into societies and societies into nations and nations into a community. Fear has been a big part of how we have grown to be the people who we are. It is a gift of God, so to speak, and that is why we specifically have to channel God's power to change the way that we look at the world from one of fear into one of faith. One of the favorite lessons that I learned while I was doing some Christian psychology work is that in the brain, fear and faith are processed in the very same place. We receive stimuli of stimuli, and then we can choose whether we are going to be fearful or whether we are going to be faithful. Now, if fear has a natural, intrinsic human element to it and a human benefit to it, that means that it can also be used against us, right? Fear is often used as a means of control. Have you ever heard the word demagogue? Demagogue. It comes from the Greek, which means a leader, gog, G-O-G-U-E, of the people, demo. That's kind of the basic same root word. We get our word demographic. And so a demagogue is someone who uses emotional arguments to try to make pleas to the people in order to control them by fear versus common sense. Now, one political party over another in our American political system would say, they are demagogues. And the other group would say, they're demagogues. And you know what? This is one time politicians would likely not be lying, right? It's okay to find some humor in that because the reality is, is that no matter how it is that we approach some of the situations and circumstances in which we find ourselves in life, 
Those who are seeking power will demagogue certain issues in order to be able to say, you have problem X, I am the only one who can solve problem X or Y, and then we're going to get Z by giving me all the power. That's how demagogues typically work. You have these problems, I'm the only one who can fix it, and so give me the power, and you won't have to fear anymore. Again, well, the problem is, once we give someone so the power, as Lord Acton said, what does absolute power do? It corrupts absolutely. And so, in a sense of trying to corrupt absolutely, what does the demagogue continue to do? Sow seeds of fear as a way to try to control you. One of the things that demagogues throughout the millennia, not just about centuries, but throughout the millennia, came to realize is that part of our human nature wants to give trust over to someone or some entity when we enter times of crisis. There's something about our human brain and our psyche, which is our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It's part about our human psyche that says when we encounter times of crisis, we are looking for someone or something to trust. Because we know that we don't have all the answers. We know that we are powerless when faced with things that appear to be so powerful, it's beyond us. So the next line on that screen says we tend to trust what we hear in times of crisis, which means we are, are especially susceptible and vulnerable to message of fear, messages of fear by demagogues when we are encountering things of crisis. Now let me ask you a question. Have you sensed any crisis or crises happening in our world today? What kind of crisis may keep you up at night? Interrupt the message time. What, what kind of crisis keeps you up at night? What's going on overseas, right? What else? Things happening right here. Yeah. Finances, yeah. Health scares. There are all kinds of things that are happening in the world around us from war, the economy, health issues that lead us to feel like we're powerless. We have no help. And so we turn our trust, and we want to turn our trust to an authority or to an expert to deliver us from evil, right? Demagogues prey on that. Fear preys on that. God's enemy uses fear in such a way to cause us to get our focus off of where real, true power lives and onto the problem as a way to try to say, I'm the only one who can solve your problem. And the more we surrender our freedom over to demagogues, the less freedom we have. Have you found that to be true? Particularly in the last decade? Absolutely. Which leads us to two main myths. You'll see this on the screen. Two main myths. The first is you should be very afraid because you are powerless. The demagogue says you have no ability to deal with these health issues, these war issues, these economic issues. So give me the power and trust me. And then the other thing the demagogue tries to tell us to the myth is that you have all the power within you to fix the problems that ail you. Well, that's a conundrum, isn't it? If you are powerless, and then they tell you you have all the power, 
by abdicating it, then we find ourselves in some never-ending loop, right? Of how can I make sense of the fact that I am powerless to fix the problems and I need to have all the power within me if I just abdicate it? This isn't a new problem. This isn't a new issue. This is timeless, my friends. I think back to the, the era of early ancient Israel. After the Exodus journey, when the people began to look toward other people for their security, for a king, if you will. The scripture tells us and judges, I believe, that the people were going about doing their own thing, going their own way because they lacked the king. That offended somebody. Can you imagine who it might have offended? Who do you think it offended? God, that's right. Because God had told them from the very beginning, I am with you. I am going ahead of you. If you keep me as your focal point and you adhere to that commandment to be strong and to courageous and to be courageous, then guess what? You will find that I am the power. I am the answer. I am the solution. But people started going willy-nilly. That's a technical term, by the way. And going crazy. And they began going their own way, thinking their own thoughts and thinking what we see today, relative truth, that my way is the way. My truth is my truth. My truth is the truth. You deal with it. That's all we need a king. We need somebody to come in and set things straight. And so then King Saul was elevated to the kingdom and the kingship of Israel. And it's been a mess pretty much ever since. Because the people said, give me somebody that I can see, that I can touch, that I can hold on to, or maybe hold accountable. Give me that, and then I will trust. That's not God's way. God says, trust me, and you will find this truth to be indisputable. When you trust me, you already have everything else. Jesus would echo this. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else you want is going to be added unto you. I can't tell you how many times that uh, I'm getting ready for um, just every single day. This morning was no different. I'm praying, dear God, give me your strength. Give me your help. Give me your hope. And, and it's like, okay, here I am again, Lord. I keep forgetting. I already have all that. Help me to live into it. Because you promised never leave me or forsake me or abandon me. Why is it that we allow our fear to speak into us and say, you need more strength. You need more this. You need more that. X, Y, and Z. What we need is courage to realize that we can live into what God has already placed in our lives. Thanks to the love of the Son and our Savior, Jesus. Simon Sinek, who was a leadership guru, said that courage is stoked in relationships. I like that. Courage is stoked in relationships. What do you think that means, that courage is stoked in relationships? Any ideas? Well, here's a kind of a cliche for you. There's safety in numbers, right? When we have relationships with people and we stand together, 
then what do we find? We find that two heads are better than one. I love the clip. I almost heard this this morning, but for time's sake, I didn't do it. But I love the clip in the very first of the Christopher Nolan Batman movie trilogy. Uh, before Bruce Wayne had really become Batman, he goes to see Commissioner Gordon in his office. He's not Commissioner, he's Lieutenant Gordon. And he's talking to, talk, talking to the soon-to-be Commissioner Gordon about all the, the corruption and the crime that's being done by the mafia or the mob inside Gotham City. And Commissioner Gordon, look, he does not look at Batman. He says, what am I to do? I'm only one man. And if you've seen the movie, you remember how Batman responds? Now we're two. Now we're two. There's courage to get stoked in relationships. And there's something about that little image of Batman and the soon-to-be Commissioner Gordon, where Gordon realized there's this guy that's jumping off buildings, driving these tanks and things like that. He's got my back, therefore I can know, I can step up courageously, and I can have in these relationships here the courage I need to go face down the mob. It's a powerful, powerful witness to what happens when we have courage. Relationships stoke courage, don't they? They give us that sense of safety in numbers. But you know, it also works the other way. When you see someone standing up after you've stood up, after you've made a stand, it emboldens you to continue to be brave, doesn't it? To continue to be bold. We are weaving our lives together. When the world is telling us to be afraid, we're weaving them together in faith with relationship with each other. And so what we come to realize as people of faith, it's the promise that Jesus made that when two or three or more are gathered in your name, where is he? On the outside looking in? No! Right there in your midst. So God becomes the great equalizer. He is on your side. Remember the myths that you are powerless and you are alone. Give me the power. God says, no. I am the only power you need and I am on your side. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Do not surrender your power to the demagogue because the savior of the world, the creator of the world, is on your side. So when we weave our life and relationships together with each other to stand up and be bold and be courageous in our church, in our community, and throughout all creation, we realize it isn't our power that is enabling us or empowering us to do or to be the things that God wants us to do or be or to say. The power comes directly and straight from God himself. And so the powerful thing that we come to realize is that God doesn't want us to be fearful. He wants us to be free. Free from fear so that we can act in faith. He wants you and me to be free. Not to surrender our power or our influence to the demagogue. Because they're going to continue to try to find crises to hold us down and weigh us back. Tell us to put things on our face, put things in our body or whatever, to vote a certain way, go a certain place, stay away from certain places. God wants us to be free. This is the essence of freedom in the Christian witness is that we are free from all of the junk and crud the world can throw at us so that we can go and represent God in the places that are the darkest and the scariest and that lack the hope, the faith, and the love that only God can provide. God doesn't want us to be fearful. He wants us to be free, and we are free when we act in faith.
And so we need supernatural courage to be the people that God has created and calls us to be. Who wants to be supernaturally courageous? I know I do. I want to be supernaturally courageous. That means we've got to stand up. We've got to weave our lives together. And we've got to take some steps that will help us to be the courageous people that God has already placed within us. Thanks to the relationships we are weaving together with each other. And the fact that Jesus Christ is at the center of what we do in life. So I've got five steps. This is not an exhaustive list. But it's things that we can do to help us find courage. The first thing to do, as I mentioned with the scarecrow with Indiana Jones, you got to identify your fears. What is it that leaves you feeling paralyzed? What leaves you feeling paralyzed? It's different for every single person. And so the thing that we find, the beauty that we find when we weave our lives together in relationship is that things that scare you may not necessarily scare me. And the things that scare me may not necessarily scare your neighbor, right? And so when we all weave our lives together and allow our common courage to be centered in Christ, guess what? We have the power and the ability and the availability and responsibility to stand up to whatever challenge that we face. There are certain things that will scare the tar out of certain people in this room that others would just laugh and scoff at. You know what the number one fear and phobia typically is? It's fear of public speaking. Do you know anybody here that's really afraid of public speaking? I'm not. I made my life out of it, right? But there are plenty of things I'm scared of. Like being rejected. Being betrayed. Feeling left out. Is there anyone in here who says, I could care less about that? I'm going to trample the ground, trample whoever gets in my way. I'm going to carry that flag for Christ. This is what it's like when we do life together, when we feel community together. My strengths complement your weaknesses. Your strengths complement my weaknesses. And we put Christ in the center. We, knew we need not be afraid or even terrified. So identify your fears. Second thing I want you to identify are your values. Your values. What are some values that you hold near and dear to your heart? Anybody? What are some values that you hold near and dear to your heart? My love of God, yeah. Thank you, David, absolutely. Family. Honesty, yeah, and integrity. That's a big one for me. Any other values? Know what your values are. The non-negotiables in your life. What will you fight for? What inspires you to stand up when no one else will and say, here I stand, I can do no other. One of the great transformations I've seen in anybody's life is in Tiffany when she became not just wife but also mom talk about mother bear right and i know she's chuckling and i know that that's the case for so many people in this world that when you find something that you're willing to fight for you will throw down with the biggest baddest meanest whatever right to protect your tribe or your clan what is that for you where will you stand up and where will you fight you got to know your values you got to know those things that when you feel that triggering response in your soul, to know that if it's the right thing to fight for, right? 
by your values. The third thing is expect conflict. This is one of those things that has always bewildered me about my own journey in the faith. I talk about it somewhat regularly, is, and I say this, it's really a moment of confession, is that I really expected when I was younger that my faith in Christ was going to be essentially uh, an inoculation or a vaccine against the struggle and the strife that I face in life. That nobody was going to be against me. I can remember uh, when Tiff and I were really getting serious that I was talking, we were talking about me going into the ministry. I said, could you imagine working in a place like the church where everybody loves Jesus and everybody's supposed to do the right thing and love one another? Ooh. I had no idea. I had no idea. I can still be amazed. There's conflict everywhere. Why is that? That's because God has instilled within every single one of us certain unique ideas and passions and values. And it's requiring all of us to bring them together, to weave them together, to create the fabric of this tapestry and community that God desires. But sometimes your passions and my passions are going to do more like this than this. And sometimes we have to be mindful that conflict is a natural part of the faith life. But here's something that we have to be ever mindful of. And it's that secondary line on the screen. Is that the enemy will use your values against you. Friends, that is one of the scariest things that I think I've ever said in a message. Because I have found it to be true. The enemy who wants to say that light is dark and that love is evil and that principles is bigotry. This is the kind of junk, and I want to be a whole lot more flowery in that word. This is the kind of junk and gunk that we are living with in our world today. They're using our values against us to say that the way of God is evil. This goes all the way back into Isaiah. Chapter 5, as God is preparing the prophet for his work, the time will come when people will look at the world and they will call darkness, light, and evil, good, and sweet, bitter. We're living in a time such as that right now. It's not the first time that it's ever happened in history. It happens almost every generation. But this is our time. This is our battle. We cannot allow the enemy to use our values against us. There's this Catholic bishop who once said that Evil preaches tolerance while it's in the minority. Once it becomes the minority, it preaches totalitarianism or tyranny. We have to fight that urge to allow our values to be used against us. So know what you're afraid of, know what your values are, and expect conflict because, my friend, the enemy is going to use those things as tools and weapons against you. But you know what God said? That no weapon wielded against you will stand. It cannot prosper when we have the power of God on our side. So the good you do every day matters. That's the fourth point. Major and minor alike. The good you do every day matters. Have you ever felt that tendency or that temptation to say, why am I going to return my cart to the stall because nobody else has parking lot is doing it? I'm going to do it. How many times have you been deceived into thinking that one simple act of kindness is meaningless? It will not make a difference with all of the chaos and the corruption and the calamity in the world. Every good you do 
every day matters. Why? Because God said when we do our work for him, nothing that we ever do is ever in vain. Nothing. So never think that your good steps and good actions for God are indifferent. Major and minor alike. In the eyes of God, we may be inclined to think everything we can do is going to be minor by comparison. That's not the way God looks at it, friends. God looks at every single thing we do as good, for good. And he has a way of allowing his word to come back to us, not void, or to him, I should say, not void, but reaping beautiful harvests. I love that verse in Habakkuk that says, don't despise small beginnings because God cherishes us beginning the work in the first place. He loves to see us do things for him, which leads us to the fifth step. It directly comes after, after four. Take the next best step. Always do the right thing. And if you goof, make it right. The enemy is going to use your values and your fear to say, if you messed up, you might as well give up, right? But that's not what God wants you to do. If you make a goof, get it right. Make it right. This comes back to our Wesleyan doctrine of Christian perfection, right? It's like, it's not based on us never making a mistake, but it's seeking to do the right thing, always doing the next best thing. And when we mess up, make it right. Seek reconciliation and allow that to become a testament to the way that God works in our life. These five steps... Again, not an exhaustive list can help you develop a supernatural courage when you know what it is that terrifies you and you're working in a relationship with people who are not terrified by the same thing, right? And then you know your values, you know the things you're willing to stand up for and fight, but expect conflict because the enemy will use your fears and your values against you. But if you commit to continue to do the next best step, And knowing that every good thing that you do matters in eternity, you can have the supernatural courage to keep on keeping on. There's a story I love. It's a preacher story. You know, so who knows if it's true, but it's beautiful nonetheless. This dad and his son walking on a hike. And there's this giant boulder on the path. And the dad looks at the son. He says, son, I bet you can't move that boulder with all your strength. And the son's like, okay, I'll do it. You know, he goes, <laughs> tries and tries and tries. And he's unable to move the boulder. And he looked back at his dad, dejected, discouraged, demoralized. And he said, you're wrong, dad. I couldn't move it with all my strength. And he said, you didn't use all your strength, son. You didn't ask for my help. And the two of them go up, count of three. They push, they heave, they hoe, and the boulder moves. Friends, our life works that same way. We feel like we're powerless, yet all the power should exist within us. It's this great contradictory conundrum that the enemy wants to use against us. And God says, when you allow my power to be your power, you'll realize there's nothing you can't accomplish. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be able to stitch Jordan on the back of my basketball jersey and automatically play in the NBA, right? I'm not that kind of Jordan. But what it does mean is that when we give our lives over to God and we allow God to leave us together in relationship with him and with other people, 
in this community known as the church, we can indeed impact this church, our community, and our whole world. We need not fear the tools of the enemy, of fear and deception, using our values against us and trying to convince us that what we believe is wrong. Hear this verse from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. In love there is no fear. And God says he is love. Perfect love casts out fear. Again, God casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not yet achieved what? Perfection in love. I referenced that a moment ago. Perfection in love. Friends, it isn't about never making a mistake. Isn't that good news? Yeah. It isn't about never making a mistake. But it's about trying to do the next best thing, the right thing. And even when we do goof up and we foul up, we make a mess, we miss, we have all kinds of mistakes. We seek to make it right. Confession, forgiveness, reconciliation. We are called to give it. and We are called to receive it. And so as we're going to do in each installment in our series, we're going to close with three questions. I want you to ponder and reflect on these questions. How does fear control you? What is it that happens in your life when you find yourself controlled by fear? In other words, where are you susceptible to the demagogue and the demon gog, right? What relationships help you feel courageous? I know that there are certain times when I'm in certain places with certain people that I feel like I can conquer the world. And it isn't in me. It's in the weaving that God is doing in weaving the relationships with him, self, and other. And what step, when you look back over our five steps towards supernatural courage, needs more focus for you? Do you need to focus on identifying your fears or your values? Standing up in the face of conflict because the enemy is going to use your fears and your values against you? Do you need to get over the sense of demoralization that the good you do is being done in vain? Or do you need the motivation and the impulse to do the next best thing? Whatever it is that you need or whatever steps you need to put more of your focus and emphasis and do that, please. Because God wants to give you his perfect love and cast out whatever fear that you have. And to remind you that your courage, your strength is a commandment, not based on who we are, what we think we can do or accomplish on our own, but because of what God has already done for us and what God is doing in us and what God is doing with us as he weaves us together in relationship with other people. He promised to never leave you or abandon you. And so, my friends, I think this is the perfect time on this beautiful Sunday morning, the first Sunday morning in the season of Lent. Rest, so you know what? I've been scared of that, but I'm going to step up. And I'm going to look to see who God brings alongside me to step up with me, to be bold and to be courageous, not to be terrified or fearful, because it's perfect love, who is the very personality and nature of God that casts out all fear. So, dear Lord, help me to be perfected in love to find that as my motivation for living, and then to live for you courageously. Amen? Amen. Pray with me, please. Living and loving God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for...
this gathering today as we think about how you promised to never leave us or forsake us, to never abandon us. And may that give us the strength and the courage that we need to face the future unafraid. Dear Lord God, forgive us for the times when we have allowed the deceptions of the enemy to use our fears against us, but also our values, and help us to do the next best thing, whether we think it's major or minor, because as you promised, nothing ever happens when it's done for you in vain. And so give us the strength and the courage and the encouragement that we need to keep doing that next right thing for you because of your love for and in us. And I ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.